0: You ready?
1: Yeah, that's yeah.
0: I am Austin Lugo.
1: I'm Andrew Harp.
0: This is With Nothing to Say.
1: Let's talk about Fallen Angels. Sorry, I'm I'm looking
0: for I already forgot the movie. I put it in my watch list.
1: You you suggested it.
0: I suggested it. Okay. <laughs> Before we get started this week, next week we're going to be watching the Clint Eastwood classic *Escape from Alcatraz*. I'm very excited for this film. I saw *Body Snatchers* for the first time just a couple of days ago, and I have seen *Dirty Harry* before, so I do love the great Don Siegel. So I think this one's going to be quite a blast. It rocks. Always fun to see Clint Eastwood in a movie, so I I think it's going to be a good time.
1: Yeah, it's it's a sure it's a surefire hit.
0: (laughs) But this week. We watched Fallen Angels, <clears throat> a completely unhinged film. I think there's no other way to describe this movie. It's It might as well be written by a
1: crazy person.
0: I don't know. It's pretty unhinged.
1: No, uh, I disagree. Go on. I think it's a beautiful, formal masterpiece. I don't think it's that crazy. I mean, it's crazy, but it's like... sure. Only in its visual... Only because... Obviously, a big part of the movie and the big reason why a lot of these Wong Kar Wai movies are great is because of Chris Doyle's cinematography. Mm-hmm. And so, I think, like, especially with this movie in particular, he like utilizes these like wide angles, right? These wide angle super lenses, super like fisheye. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like bordering on fisheye. And so, when you watch it, it does kind of make you feel kind of crazy <laughs> <Like> <laughs> because everything is so like kind of almost stretched out. And so, when you mm-hmm. watch the movie yeah, like I said, it kind of just makes you feel kind of sickly, almost. But I think that the story, you know, I think that the mood and the feelings that come from the characters and just what's going on in the movie, I don't think it's any different than what you would expect from a movie like Chunking Express or In the Mood for Love.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, you have your same thematic ideas behind it, but as you said, the Cinematography is wild here. The lighting is—it's
1: very green,
0: very green, very harsh lighting. A lot it's of it's a very green. It's a green movie, yeah, <laughs> it's
1: yeah. Green movie. Chunking Express is also pretty green.
0: Oh yeah, I haven't seen Chunking Express yet, but I've seen similar, like from like stills and stuff. It looks similar. The editing is also insane in this movie. I mean, it's just yeah, it's everywhere. It's some pretty
1: crazy editing, yeah.
0: It's shot almost entirely handheld. I mean, it's very
1: rarely on sticks. It's constantly moving, the whole time. It just never stops. I thought the beginning was really crazy. Too. The beginning is especially like pretty like fast paced. Once it gets into it, oh yeah, I love all the editing in the movie. I think all of it is like amazing. I love all the fast paced editing. I like when the frame rate changes and it like yeah. kind of it <laughs> when it kind of like that choppy frame rate. That's very like think but i love it mm-hmm. <laughs> i love everything about just yeah the editing it's so good i love to i love yeah when um i love uh the way he films like like the point of view when you're in a car or on a motorcycle or on a bus or something like that and you're yeah. like moving through the streets like i like when they go through i'm going off now about the movie like I, i'm not really <laughs> focusing off. on one thing or i'm just saying like it's just it, it's a great looking movie like it, i like i don't know how else to like like it looks good. It's edited what well. like it's just it's just um, from a stylistic point of view, without even talking about like its themes and characters or whatever it, it's it's fantastic.
0: what a wild ride it is. And we got this guy who's an assassin, and he's got a partner who yeah, like
1: an assistant.
0: I guess they're not romantically involved in the traditional sense.
1: they're not romantically involved at all,
0: well, I mean, she fucks his she sheets. wants
1: to, yeah. She takes the sheets home. She wants a relationship with him, but it's a, uh, yes. it's a, uh, as, as they set up in the very beginning, in the very first scene, <laughs> very like, we're partners and we shouldn't get emotionally involved. And that kind of like creates kind of like uh, one of the conflicts of the movie in that, like, the beginning kind of reminded me of a Michael Mann movie. Yeah. And that it introduces you kind of like Thief or something like that, <laughs> where it kind of like introduces you to their, um like, their criminal kind of relationship and their Mm -hmm. uh their formula right they're kind of their um i'm trying to think of the word like their routine right like it sets Mm -hmm. up kind of like the routine and everything and you you can see and you can kind of see it and understand it you know very easily it's not overly explained that reminded me like a michael mann movie like i said like thief or something like that and uh, i love stuff like that stuff like that is just so much fun to watch
0: it's incredible and what a routine it is so detail oriented in the way they yeah. have this stash house in which they keep the key over a broken window so they never have to have a key on them I, which i guess is probably the best way to go about it i guess i don't know i'm not sure if that's better or worse what do you think about what well having the key there like instead of just having the key on them like why keep the key there
1: that detail didn't even cross i don't care like that's a, that's a detail that completely doesn't even like that's just like another thing for them to do you know what i mean sure <laughs> another little like i guess uh piece of the environment for them to interact with but it's a great stash house very cool looking stash i mean it's basically just like a room
0: and a kitchen and she cleans it all up to i don't know so he can sleep there or whatever i guess yeah. also like if it gets rated the idea is that like, there's no fingerprints or anything. Like, there's no way to connect sure. them to the stash house. And she takes care of all of the business side of things, I guess. She's the one who scouts out the places. She meets the people. She gets the cash, all that stuff. And, of course, he does the killing. Because he is a lazy person, as he says. He doesn't like to yeah, think about yeah. things. He just goes out and kills people.
1: Yeah, and, and and again, well, not again, but, you know, the movie, of course, a lot of voiceover. You know, there's not like a lot of like conversational dialogue in the movie, I guess.
0: Very little, especially here at the beginning. There's almost no dialogue here at the beginning.
1: It's mostly the uh, voiceover, which um, I love the voiceover. I think it's great. I think it's perfect.
0: It can be hit or miss for me. I think there's times where.
1: Well, oh, oh, like in a movie. Yeah, like in movies in general. Yeah, I'm not saying
0: saying this one. I'm saying in this one, great. You know, two thumbs up. I think the voiceover works really well. But in general, voiceover is kind of hit or miss. And I think. Right. Yeah what separates a great voiceover from a bad voiceover is a bad voiceover tries to explain what's going on it tries to it add tries to context, yeah yeah yeah
1: right yeah it <laughs> tries to like like the thing about yeah voiceovers is that they're ADR done right like they make a movie they film it they mm-hmm. edit it together and they're just like and then someone is like you know what i don't know what's going on or like i think that <laughs> we need to add a voiceover to explain this or that you know so yes yeah, yeah
0: but a great voiceover like this Never tries to explain anything that's going on in the movie, but rather is simply the diary of these different characters. You're getting into the mindset of these different characters throughout the film, which is fun also because this voiceover jumps from person to person other than just like this from one person's point of view. You get kind of a couple of different ones, whether they're kind of a psychopath in one way or a psychopath in another way, or maybe not a psychopath. Although I would argue many of the characters in this film are psychopaths.
1: I wouldn't say they're psychopaths. They're just kind of.
0: I mean, if you kill people for a living and have no feelings about it, it feels a little psychopath-esque.
1: I don't know. I think it's just. I feel like it's more just kind of like, obviously, killing people's bad. But I'm just saying that like psychopathic. I don't know. I think it's more. He does, but like if you were he were, if he was psychopathic, I feel like he would have like some enjoyment out of it. And I mean, halfway through the movie, he wants to get out of it. Like he kind of he kind of recognizes kind of like his situation and how kind of fucked up it is. And he decides to exit. I like too, that the movie doesn't explain like how he got into being an assassin. It doesn't do anything like that. It just kind of, he just is. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and uh, which I, which I enjoy very much, you know, you don't get any backstory from characters except for maybe like you get like some backstory on the other of the three characters that they focus on the, uh, I don't know his name, but you know, the guy who doesn't talk. You got the mute guy, yeah. Yeah, I don't
0: know any of the car- characters' names in this movie. I
1: have the Wikipedia page right in front of me with their okay. names, probably, but I don't. um Doesn't I, I, matter. You know, it's just they're. You know, whatever. It's kind of hard to distinguish. But you know, the assassin, the assistant, uh, the mute guy. Like it's all blondie. Mm-hmm. It's all there. Yeah, it's all there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I love the very first time we get to see the assassin go kill a guy, and yeah, it's, it's all so cool. planned out He's beforehand. Very John Very, yes. Very John Woo. I love the, and they do this pretty much every time he goes and kills someone and they cut back between the partner who kind of scouts out the location and him killing them, which is a really great edit because you kind of get a lay of the land and like what's going on. But again, it's never explained like you're going to kill this person because this person did that. Like it doesn't matter. And he recognized that like we don't really need to know why he's killing these people because he doesn't know.
1: Yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah.
0: Why? Why should we care? And so we don't. We assume like they're seem to the be
1: gangsters l- or criminals, gangsters or something like that. Mafia, yeah.
0: gambling rings, prostitutes, yeah. whatever. It seems to be something. And again, we don't care why or what for. But he goes in. Well, before he goes in, you have that great bus scene where uh, you see yeah. his face in the mirror, and it's it, which is it's a great shot because you get to watch like i have no idea where they are
1: they're in hong kong
0: they're in hong kong okay
1: yeah Wong Kar white he's a he's a he's a chinese well i know he's a chinese writer
0: but well hong kong at the time then was still part of britain right yes that's true okay because because they say they they go to uh they travel to china that part confused me because i knew they were speaking chinese i knew they were in and i knew that he was a chinese director but Mm -hmm. i knew they weren't in china so hong kong makes right. sense because it was still when did hong kong not be part of britain anymore that was pretty it was recent like, i mean it, i guess it was like
1: ninety. Right. i think it was like 99 or 98 or something okay. like that it the movie takes place in present time which was this movie came out in 1995 so I think it's like right before britain left
0: anyways really great neon light signs and traveling on buses and all that kind of shit and it goes and this guy is a badass.
1: I love the neon sign. So
0: good. <laughs> this guy is a badass assassin. Like he doesn't give yeah, a he's shit. Cool. He's got confidence. I think that's what you need as an assassin. he just got style pure and confidence. Swag.
1: He's got he's swag. Got- Everybody in the movie has swag.
0: So much swag, and he never once flinches or like hides behind anything. He just walks into a room, holds out his guns, and just fucking starts shooting
1: with two guns. Yeah. <laughs> Very one car why, like the way that everybody reacts to getting shot is very one car why. There's like sparks flying everybe- everywhere everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everybody like flips up in the air. It's kind of like the John Wu action scenes where they kind of reach like this like crazy kind of religious transcendent level where, you know, like the editing suddenly goes nuts and it just it's just uh, it just completely flips out. And uh yeah, I like I like those scenes a lot. Truly
0: a blast of scene and the music that goes along with all of these moments. So great. Well, yeah. The so music in pops. the movie
1: is amazing. The music in the music is amazing. It kind of, I think that, um, I believe like, um, I read that like one car, why wanted to uh, get like a massive attack music, but he was un- un- unable to get it. Oh, uh,
0: Okay.
1: I think he just had like other like a uh, trip hop tracks, which is very 90s. Yeah. I like that a lot. And of course he uses a lot of like nostalgic, like canto pop music as well throughout. I love the music. It's really good. It fits really well throughout <laughs> the whole movie. Once again, lots of just, you know, just perfect stylistic choices. Just that's just how it just just the way it is.
0: Truly really incredible. So he's going out there. He's killing people. His partner is falling in love with him. She's like going to all of the places In very indirect way. It's
1: very interesting, yeah. Yeah, going through his trash.
0: It's almost like she instead of falling in love with him she almost falls in love with the idea of being him as if she wants to exist in his existence not so much that she wants to be with him but that she wants to be him by going the places he goes by taking his trash looking through his trash
1: going to the bar goes goes to the bar
0: and all that kind of stuff and he kind of plays into that too right he leaves these kind of clues he gets the little cigarette case and (laughs) And it's kind of this back and forth. It's this weird sort of psychosexual relationship where they kind of both know that they're playing this game and that it's more than just a partnership. And of course, that's how they end up, or the reason, I suppose, that he ends up breaking off the partnership, partly because he wants to get out of being an assassin as a whole, but then also because he recognizes that this relationship isn't what he originally planned it to be. And it's getting too complicated.
1: Yeah, there's like I said, it's it's there's too much emotion going on. There's too much. Uh, and, you know, you could kind of read into that, you know, you could kind of read into like the guy and maybe like, you know, it could be like a, a situation in which maybe he had a relationship before that ended badly because maybe he had some enemies or something that killed that person or something like that. Or once again, that's just a theory, you know, you, you can read into that if you want, but nothing is really explained. It's just kind of, you know, it's explained more simply to that. And once again, like these two characters, they don't really talk, but they have like this weird kind of comic connection, like you said, that kind of connects them in a way where they're kind of operating on this level um, where they're working together, you know, so they kind of like communicate almost telepathically in a weird way. Like uh, you have that scene later, right, where he goes to McDonald's (laughs) and uh, he's eating at McDonald's. I wish I could be there, by the way. I would love to go back in time and hang out in the... Like, I think basement level Hong Kong Hong McDonald's, Kong, McDonald's. <laughs> at 1 a.m. That'd be so... What a vibe. I would kill to be there. Oh, it's so cool. And while he's there, you know, he's like eating and he meets Blondie, which is like this uh, sort of um funny kind of a whirlwind uh, lady. She uh, likes uh, the assassin guy a lot. And they have that scene where they go and uh to her place and she kind of like messes with him and he kind of like submits and they kind of like i think they like have sex at her place and it goes back and forth between her and the assistant between them having sex and the assistant like masturbating and she like cries after masturbating in his bed and that's a good scene that like i said it kind of creates this uh, i'm you know i'm assuming that both these things are happening at the same time right and it's it's great it kind of creates this like even though she doesn't necessarily she doesn't necessarily know completely what's going on she kind of still does right because there's that weird kind of telepathic thing going on
0: Mm -hmm. it's the cosmic duality of these two characters where yeah one character is obsessed with the body i would argue blondie is obsessed with the the physical being of course she gives him a shirt right when they first get to the house because they had run in the rain and they need to change clothes or whatever and she says that it still fits him which suggests that him and blondie have had they had known each other yeah they
1: had known each other before they don't explain it very much at all though it's like not at all it doesn't matter
0: (laughs) not really but she remembers this relationship that happened very well and he doesn't remember at all because he's living in his own little world and he doesn't care about the social show. She's obsessed with the body. She's obsessed with the physical, the sexuality, all that kind of stuff. And she is obsessed with the, the soul, the idea, the more figment. And so when you cut back between these two characters, you kind of see two sides of the same person because they're not only expressions of the women and how they feel about him, but also the different lives that he's living, the ghost-like life of living as an assassin of course there's that great scene when he's in the bus and he meets an old school friend who invites him yeah it's a great funny scene this movie's very funny by the way there's a lot of very funny moments in this movie
1: there's good moments yeah especially with the um of course especially with the uh the uh, mute guy i think there's a lot of like comedy to be had there it's like a it's a silly character but yeah yeah. And, and then that scene too, where he meets the school friend, that's kind of like almost like a turning point for him. Right. Where he kind of, um, well, he gives him like an insurance policy or whatever. And he kind of, he's like an insurance guy. And he's like, Oh, you know, we can get a policy for you, whatever. And I think he just is kind of like, you know, maybe I should get a normal life or something like <laughs> that, you know, because he, he kind of like look at his school friend and he's like, Oh, I'm getting married and all this stuff. And he, he simultaneously, the assassin is simultaneously completely uninterested in anything that the guy was talking about, but he can't help but feel he still can't help but feel that he needs to change his life in some kind of a major way anyway.
0: Yeah, he has this craving for normalcy, which what better reflects normalcy than an insurance agent? I mean, that's just as normal as you can get.
1: Another very Michael Mann thing, uh, the, 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 the the need, the, 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 the want to um, exit Uh, from your, I don't know, life of crime or life of debauchery into uh, something else uh, more quote unquote normal and how uh, difficult or impossible that is.
0: Yeah, he's simultaneously, he's put himself into this own position so it's all his own fault, but then also he considers himself faultless because he's he's fallen into this position and he doesn't know how to get out. He's fumbling down this road in which he can't seem to stop himself. He's He's forever entangled and, and he doesn't know what else to do because that's just, I mean, I guess you know, once a hitman always a hitman. I don't know how you get out of the hitman game, but it does not seem like an easy thing to do.
1: And once again, as it's shown in the beginning, he's kind of operating on this kind of like mechanism. He's kind of sort of kind of stuck in this cycle of doing this work, which he probably likes doing a little bit, but he still also finds, you know, probably difficult to do over time and there's that great scene, right? When he gets shot in the arm, and then he goes back to his like apartment to dig out the bullets. and he's like, "Oh, it's exhausting. Like I find myself getting shot a lot more. It's like really exhausting. You know, I think that's what he says. And oh, that's a great moment in line because that encapsulates exactly what we're talking about right now, but it says it better than anything that you and I can say
0: it certainly does. And I think that's one of the most masterful parts of this film. Is the ability to make one of the most exciting things in the world, a professional assassin, the ability to make that boring, to make something like that feel so much like a, a nine to five. I mean, it feels as if, and I think part of this has to do with this sense of repetition. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, remind me like a, a late Samurai. Have you ever seen that movie? Kind of reminds me yes. of that movie too.
0: Yes, it definitely has some of those vibes. The French movie. So while we have all of this going on, we get to meet the Mute Man.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Who is he's great.
0: He's crazy. He's wild. He's truly wild at heart. I
1: love him. He's like a guy like, yeah, he's cool. He's like this guy who's mute. And what he does is at heat in the middle of the night, he will take over people's like food businesses and stuff. And he'll try to sell things to people, sort of you get that little like um, compilation of scenes where he's like forcing people to buy like <laughs> melons and stuff like that like it's not that he's selling things people he's bothering people late at night enough to the point where people is just like i'll give you money if you stop bothering me
0: like he rips off this person's clothes to wash them or right or that poor man <laughs> he, like rips that, that poor man <laughs> like, that hey. he uh <laughs> shampoos who's forced into many altercations that guy with is him a over his character
1: in the whole movie.
0: <laughs> I know this poor guy. He's just trying to live his life.
1: You of course get the ice cream truck scene which is great very funny where he's got like he clearly like stole like this ice cream truck and he he forces the guy like eat ice cream and then the guy's family shows up and he makes him them eat ice cream it's just like what the fuck is going on
0: the ice cream scene is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because he's forced to eat so much ice cream he can't stop he's like you gotta eat more and more ice cream and he just can't stop he's like i'll pay you and he's like no 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 you gotta eat more ice cream and then his wife calls and his wife doesn't believe him
1: he just kind of likes fucking with him
0: so he's like, you know what? If you don't believe me, wife, you come. And of course, she brings the whole family. So now you got you got the kids, you got the grandfather, you got the wife. They're all there. They're all forced to eat ice cream. And they're driving around Hong Kong. It's perfect. It's peak cinema. It's everything you want cinema to be.
1: Yeah. And of course, his, his mom was killed by an ice cream truck.
0: It all comes together.
1: There's a funny detail. It's a very weird detail.
0: And he lives with his father, his aging father. His dad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're chilling. That's yeah, they cool, just live at home. They live in like like, a like hotel, space. hotel or like whatever, space. apartment. Something like that, apartment, yeah.
0: It's a cool space.
1: There's a scene where he goes to the bathroom and he locks him in for some reason.
0: Again, this the mute
1: man. As far is as I can tell there was no reason crazy. to lock his father in the bathroom.
0: There's very little reason for anything this man does. He's just he is the
1: He's like a night owl that just sort of goes nuts at night. I guess he's in weird
0: ways he's sort of the reflection of our assassin. Because our assassin is very cool, calm, and collected. He does the same thing over sure. and over again. There's this very specific routine. And then on the other hand, there's this very hedonistic mute who does whatever he wants. He doesn't play by anybody's rules. There's no logic. There's no reason to anything he does. He's essentially
1: robbing people. He's like robbing people. Like, But he's not doing it for the money. Because as he
0: says, he doesn't need the money. He doesn't have to pay rent. He doesn't have really any specific need for it. He just does it to do it like he finds some sort of weird joy out of the experience now know what that joy is or why he gets that joy but there's something there for him something masochistic almost
1: it's just the feeling of like I don't know it's just the feeling of being like I don't know like a person with no shame like hanging out in Hong Kong in the city at night the energy the feeling you know it's like magnified and i don't know it's just it's just it's just probably just a feeling this movie's great by the way in that it only takes place at night
0: yeah that's true i didn't think about that but it's all all night scenes all neon light and all that shit yeah but he wants that the not the mute man the assassin wants out of the game he's done and he's gotta yeah he's gotta break it off with his partner it's like how do i how do i tell her but they've never met up to this point like they've never talked to each other they never seen each other
1: i don't know if they have it's probably just whatever you know just like tiny meetings or whatever but yeah
0: no like official meetings i guess no uh intersections of relationshipality but he thinks the only way to break it off is by handing the bartender a <laughs> yeah. <key and> <laughs> coin right he says so my great. favorite number scene. is 1818. Yeah. 18.
1: That's such a that's such a the luck, yeah. That's such a good ass like movie moment. I don't know. Like it's just a very movie thing to do.
0: And so powerful and, and so beautiful and wonderful and everything you want a movie to be. And one of the many moments of the movie where they play with color in which everything mm-hmm. is black and white, except the jukebox and I think one other thing. I don't remember there's something else that's like red or something. But everything else is in black and white and the song comes on
1: yeah it's and a great it's, song. it's about like forgetting beautiful. a guy yeah mm-hmm. it's about like forgetting someone which you know it's like trying to, it's trying to send the message to her that you know she ought to forget him powerful moment where she's at the bar and she's like losing her mind i'm
0: scrolling through the movie right now to see what
1: hmm?
0: i was scrolling through the movie to figure out what happened next because if i don't if I don't watch the movie while we we're on the podcast, I will forget it.
1: No, I mean like it. it doesn't really matter. I, I it, the whole movie is like it just kind of go like it's just one of those movies that goes back and forth between all the different like plots. So it doesn't really matter the order. It just kind of you know what happens, right? And um, the you know like you said, you have that that moment of um the, the jukebox moment. Like I said, great cinematic moment. And uh, you get that other moment too that I really like too, where. Uh the mute guy uh, encounters uh, that one woman who's like talking on the phone yes. with like a like great an ex-boyfriend. Scene. Great scene, and she is like super upset and it's like it's like the camera's like right up on her face too. I love that. Like I love when it's like you get these wide-angle lenses and the camera's just like right up in their and like, yeah, she is like like really upset and she's a really great actor. She does a good job. And she helps her like try to find her like ex-boyfriend and the girl he's <laughs> seeing now that she's going to marry and they go to that like a uh, like apartment in the keep like, Blondie like, which is kind of weird like i guess is this the Blondie that we know that is seeing the assassin i think it's someone different
0: but i mean they call anyone with blonde hair blondie so i think it's just like a like a term
1: maybe there's something missing in the language there for us yeah cuz i don't think it's the same person at all i think it's
0: it's like a nickname or not even a nickname, but it's like you call someone a, a hipster or a hippie or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it, that, it's that's like a good point. Definable yeah. range
1: of, of people. Yeah. Because pro- then they have that restaurant. They're at the restaurant and they're eating uh, the mutant exactly the, the woman that he meets. And there's like a guy in front of him and he's like, Yeah, my name is Blondie. What of it? And then they, <laughs> and then a the whole fight starts for no Attack reason. Like, I don't, I don't even know like the reason, like the for the fighting or whatever. But the, it just is, and they, like, have this, like, scene where, like, the frame rate it just goes crazy, and, like, everybody's, like, going crazy fighting each other for whatever reason. Once again, very John Woo. Yeah. Very John Woo-oriented action scenes going on there.
0: It's a blast. But this woman is wild. She's she's calling her boyfriend. She's calling all kinds of people. She's getting ready to beat people up, and the mute man is on her side. He's he's ready to help her out to find this, this blondie, whoever this blondie is. And I think maybe it has something to do with this idea of, because all the people that they call blondies in this movie are all people who dye their hair blonde. None of them are, are naturally blonde. And so I think it has something to do with the idea of kind of throwing away of, of who you are trying to be someone else, much like the weird situation that Hong Kong was in while it's, it's still kind of part of China, but it's also technically part of Britain and it, it's this weird amalgamation of things because there's not really British people in Hong Kong, so it's not like I don't know. It's not like parts of India when like they colonize. It's more of just.
1: They meet a few British people in the movie. They do. They do. I think the mute runs into a few white guys.
0: Yeah, that's right. I remember, but you know, very like offhand, like they're very much just.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're not main characters. No,
0: and they're they're nothing more than scenery, I suppose, and. And in the same way these people who dye their hair blonde are trying to be something that they're not much like Blondie when she
1: right. she talks about this
0: when she meets the assassin she's trying to be someone new trying to be someone different because she believes that the old version of her is the reason that the assassin left in the first place so by dyeing her hair blonde she can sort of start over but of course that doesn't end well either <laughs>
1: Right, yeah. And, and, you know, it's just the assassin is essentially cutting off everybody from his relationships, If right? Like, he is, like, ending the relationship with, like, Blondie's or ending the relationship with the assistant and all of these things. You get that moment where I think he's talking at the bar with the assistant, right? Yeah. But I think Blondie is there, too, right? Oh, you also have that moment earlier in the movie, too, where they walk by each other and they can smell yeah they can recognize the smell off of each other and it's like yeah uh that's a really good moment too where they it's have a weird kind primal of moment crazy connection and like they don't even talk to each other at all they just like through voiceover they just recognize each other yeah blondie like sets up a meeting between the two of them i guess and they have that moment where they're talking and yeah they, they, there's a whole kind of crazy scene where they're like in the bar and she like buys like a like a bag of chips and she goes out in the rain and you never ever hear their conversation between the assistant and the assassin. It just basically just focuses on Blondie who's kind of like on the outskirts of the whole conversation.
0: And as a viewer, I feel we can best relate to Blondie of all the characters in this film because the director does this thing where even though you're getting these voiceovers, even though you're living these lines with these people, it always feels as if there's things being hidden, as if there are things that are being obfuscated, as if you can never really be part of these people's lives, as if you're kind of watching them through a glass, through a screen, as it were. There, There's just some missing connection there, which is very purposeful. I don't think this is accidental Definitely. at all. There's this lack of emotional connection to these characters as if these characters are purposefully hiding in a way and by obfuscating those kind of conversations like the conversation with the partner which feel like these very traditionally cinematic moments that he is purposely stepping away from I mean I, he's flipping cinema on its head Andrew he's he's
1: flipping it all around I guess so, yeah. It's just, <laughs> yeah, he just kind of is completely uh, uninterested in, I don't know, like, long, formal conversations and is more interested in, you know, maybe shorter ones that uh, say very little but, of course, say a lot, right? And him and Blondie, they talk a lot, but Blondie does a lot of the talking, and you have that great moment, too, where he essentially ends their relationship, if they had any relationship, and um, he says, like, oh, I think in the voiceover he says when they break it up, like, he doesn't say it to her. He says in the voiceover, like, she will end up forgetting me. You know, I'm I'm simply another... Uh, uh, um, it's a great line. It's a very impressively written line about <laughs> just kind of like an, being another, I don't know, a part, kind of like another stepping stone in, in her life. And she'll end up forgetting me and it's okay. And whether or not that is tr- is true, I don't really know. It ends up being true for one of our characters, of course. That kind of ends up happening to our mute character as well, of course, where, remember, he's like, he is, this is towards the end of the movie, so I'm kind of jumping around, but whatever. Yeah. That happens to our mute character where he's, like, hanging out at a food stall, and the girl that he met earlier shows up again, and she's wearing, like, a um, a A flight flight attendant attendant uniform, I think. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And, um and she's like talking on the phone and stuff and her boyfriend reaches him and he's like doing like this big thing where he's trying to get like get attention from her but she doesn't remember him at all right <laughs> like it's yeah. a completely for whatever reason her brain was operating at a different capacity and different level at the time that they had known each other and for him he hasn't changed at all and so he remembers her very well but and she made a big impression on him but he seemingly had no impression on him, and it's a uh, it's a sad scene.
0: Yeah, it's an intense moment, and he does try to change because he there's that great moment where he works at that bar restaurant place,
1: and he meets the assassin, right?
0: And they meet the assassin. Yeah, you kind of get the right. the mixing they, they of collide worlds, for a minute. Yeah, which is great because that's the only time that the two characters collide, right. I believe, in the whole movie. But it's a great little scene where the. Bar owner has a conversation with the assassin about, you know, the idea of buying a place like this. He's like, "I'll give you advice and all that," because we see at this point that the assassin's like, he's ready, he's done, he's gonna,
1: yeah, he's kind of open his own
0: bar. He's ready to be out of this assassin game. And the mute is, you know, he's he's making food, he's doing his best. He's he's got a real job, and there's that great moment afterwards, which we watch the bar owner communicate with his children via videotapes because i guess his his children or his family don't live in hong kong but he does is the idea so he makes because he used to be like a, a film director
1: <laughs> so yeah, he, he makes a, these he, little has videotapes. A, he has a movie camera yeah and i think yeah he gets a movie camera Yeah, he gets the mute, gets a movie camera, and then you have like these, you know, various scenes where you know he's like recording like videos of his dad because his dad is basically his closest friend. So just recording his dad doing like you know just various stuff, Um, like making dinner, cooking, yeah, (laughs) doing all that stuff. So you just get a lot of that stuff, and that stuff is really nice. And of course, you know, that culminates at the very end of the movie, but that happens at the very very end of the movie. Um, like we've been talking about with the assassin and the assistant, the assistant is like about to be cut off but she says I just need to do one more job. Let's do one more job, why don't we? Classic one more job. <laughs> yeah, classic one more job, you know, just and he's like, "Okay. Let's do it." But it is interesting because I think like even though he doesn't want to do it anymore, there is this re- resignation that the job isn't going to go well. Yeah. Even though the assassin agrees, even though he probably shouldn't, he agrees anyway, but he is like sloppy about this job in particular. First of all, it's a setup. She is setting him up to get killed because I'm assuming she is just very upset with him and she can't live without him, whatever. But I think he's aware of that even though he doesn't really actually 100% know. It's very interesting. Once again, it's the telepathic thing going on where for some reason he agrees to do it and he goes into doing it anyway just because, I don't know, he's just that kind of guy. But he's still recognizes that he's probably being set up which is very interesting
0: yeah there's something subconscious about his decision as if even though on a, a conscious level he knows that's a setup he knows that's a bad idea something primal is leaning forward there's this almost guilt he has towards this woman as if he owes her something for for what he's done that is if he's betrayed her in some way and as if he deserves the setup so there's almost this what's that samurai thing called in Japan where they commit suicide
1: like Oshima did
0: Yeah exactly there's almost something like that in this final moments for him as if he he knows this this is going to happen he knows how this is going to go down I mean if you walk into a setup there's very little chance you're going to live and he knows that and he does it anyways,
1: doesn't he? Like drink right before he goes to like kill these people. Yeah, exactly. Before he attempts to kill these people, like I don't know, mm-hmm. yeah. And they get him. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, they kill him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they get in this little. They get into the fight, and he kills the hell out of him. Uh, they kill the hell out of him. But it's like a, it's like this, um, it, w- with the voiceover and with in the way that he dies. It's like this. He, he's not angry. Or upset, no. he's more kind of resigned to the fact that I, you know, I live my life the way that I did, and I'm okay with that. And you know, I had every intention of you know moving on and doing something else. And you know, if but if I die now, that's fine. And that's kind of the more or less that's what he kind of says in a voiceover, pretty much, and what is communicated in the visuals.
0: Absolutely, and it reminds me of those first moments on the bus where he's invited to that wedding. Right. And he talks about the idea that uh, the wedding just isn't his scene. Not so much that, you know, he doesn't care about the person or the type of thing, but rather he's just not that kind of person. That's just not who he is as a human being. And his life as an assassin is who he is. I mean, he's been doing it so long that there is no part of him that isn't an assassin. So this ending feels sort of inevitable. There is no escape from being an assassin. Like there is no moving on and opening a bar and starting again for him. And I think that's also part of the reason that he goes is because he sees that he has been defined by this job, by this life. And there's nothing beyond that. There is nothing more. There is only this. So there is only one way to die. And that is by being killed by other assassins.
1: Yeah. And that's it. He dies. And like you said, he uh, he dies. And, uh, you know, shortly after that, we return to the mute character who is upset. His father just basically suddenly died. He explains in the voiceover that he had to go to the hospital and then he died. Yeah. Which sucks because, you know, you got to see them kind of hang out in their relationship. It's just, you know, a cool father and son relationship, them chilling, hanging out. And then he just dies and... You know, he talks about like sitting in the like the apartment, right? And he's like watching the videotapes that he's recorded throughout the movie and him just like watching them over and over again of his father doing, you know, the things that he was doing.
0: Yeah, it's incredibly powerful moment. And I think what's so powerful about that moment, and the reason it works so well, is because he's not necessarily watching the tapes because of what's on the footage, but rather he's remembering those moments when his father sat down, you know, snuck out of the bedroom after the Mew had fallen asleep. And he's remembering those moments where the father enjoyed the creation that the Mew had made. Because that's the first, that's the only thing that the Mew has made through this film. It, it's his own creation. It's his own art or whatever you want to call it. Because pretty much everything else he's done, right? He's always sort of loafing off of others. He's breaking into restaurants and butcher shops and whatever, but- right. But the videotapes, those are completely him. Those are something that he made all on his own. And his father loves it. His father enjoys it. And there's some sort of pride in that and happiness in that. And such a powerful moment to watch the son go back and watch those videos and remember that moment and you know, to watch the same thing over and over and over again. Because just like the creation of the videos for the son, sort of his art form for the father, that was the cooking. And that was those are kind of the the final things you see from the videotape or yeah sure watching him be his happiest while he's cooking it's it's a very touching and beautiful moment very powerful
1: yeah all that all that is really good and um and then right after that is when you have that scene where he uh meets his uh uh, friend again and like we discussed uh, (laughs) to kind of like to kind of signify that things are bad for him again because his father died like his basically one friend died and uh and I think, too, he beats up the guy again. The guy with the ice cream, I think he, like, fucks with him again. I think he cuts off his hair. I don't remember if that's around this point or earlier in the movie, but he does that, too. Yeah. You just pretty much have, like, the ending of the movie, right? Like, you have the amazing ending.
0: Yeah, we already talked about the part where the mute meets the woman again, and he tries to get her attention. Right, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Which, again, is a great scene. And then we get the final scene where again it's always fun to have these like separate characters living separate lives they
1: yeah and then they collide yeah It's so great it's so satisfying
0: and the partner is at a, a restaurant of some kind and again he does this great thing which he does a lot in the film where you'll have a close-up of like the person's face in a wide with a wide angle lens and then behind them there's like this crazy fight going on which is wonderful yeah and the mute is part of this fight they're Fist-to-cuffing,
1: as it were. She's like at a restaurant. She's talking about, like, in the voiceover about how, like, basically upset and fucked up she is. She is completely beside herself.
0: Apparently, killing uh, the person you love does not always go the way you want it to.
1: Yeah, I get. You know, it's just, it's just had to be done. It's the one less job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that wonderful little moment they
1: they connect. Yeah, they, he gets beaten up, and they're both like sitting next to each other. Right. In the voiceover, they both talk about how, like, they had seen each other before. They see each other before, by the way, in, like, the apartment building. Yeah. So they've had, like, an encounter before. But they're, like, in the restaurant, and, you know, they're just like, yeah, I've met this person before. We've never had a connection. We don't have any chemistry. There's nothing going on, you know. (laughs) But for some reason, like, the mute is saying this. For some reason, right here, right now, I have a just sudden feeling, uh, a connection with this person for some reason the assistant in the voiceover essentially says the same thing. And she, as she says in the voiceover, you know, uh, I, can you take me ride right home? And, you know, they have that great, Um, I love all the motorcycle footage when they go through the green tunnels. Those are so yeah, great. So great. Yeah. They're just like, and 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 they're going through the tunnel and, you know, and she's like, you know, on the motorcycle with them. And, you know, she, as she says in the voiceover, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a nice moment to, you know, uh, be with this guy and, you know, they're two totally different people. There's no relationship or anything like that. The song that plays at the end, by the way, is an amazing song. The two characters have been through a lot. And for a brief moment, they kind of share this connection that is completely fleeting. It doesn't really mean much or anything, but it still means a whole lot more than whatever was going on right before that.
0: For those couple of seconds, that meeting is the most powerful of things and they go through the tunnel. And I love that closing shot where right exactly where we tilt up and for the first time
1: you see it's, it's morning. morning it's day so <laughs> good It's so good right? they, it's,
0: so it's, it's,
1: it's wow it's perfect
0: oh it's so great it's as if these people have lived in perpetual darkness as if night is their whole life and right kind of to see daylight is the transition into something new what whatever that may be whatever. You know, whether this connection is just momentary and, you know, that's the end of it or whatever, or if it's something more, it's, it's the beginning of something new and it's very powerful, very touching.
1: I like to think that it isn't anything new at all. (laughs) At least it is something. It's like you said, it's the, it's the morning. Yeah. That's a great, great ending.
0: Great ending to a great movie. Yeah. Final thoughts, Andrew.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm am i I'm a big, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of this movie kind of everything you want in a movie, I would say, like, get it all. You know, you get it all in there. You get, you get gangster, assassin kind of violence. You know, you get romance that is, like, fleeting and 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 a complicated, all kinds of different relationships, friendships, familial relationships. And, you know, from a style point of view and from a stylistic point of view, I think it's pitch perfect. It's very green, but I love the scenes of Hong Kong at night. It's perfect. It's perfect for movies. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's, um, it's just fantastic. The way that the movie moves and flows is just, it shouldn't work, but it really does really well. And I don't know, I just, it's really hard for me to kind of uh, part and parcel it because it's so, there's so much great stuff in it. And uh, I don't know what else to say, you know? You know, Wong Kar-wai, you know, it's not like he's an obscure director. anything (laughs) like he's very celebrated i think everyone loves him he's a great director to watch when you're like 16 or 17 Mm. because it makes i think that the 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 high emotional but subdued feelings are something that i think a teenager connect with and the stylism of it is also very heightened i feel like it kind of interacts with that kind of brain but yeah, like I, I like Fallen Angels a lot, and I'm a big fan of the mood for love, but it's been a while since I've seen that movie, and I mean, this movie, I mean, I don't know. I think it's I think it's a little bit better, so I, I'll give it a 9 out of 10.
0: Wow. Big words, big words. A lot of 9 out of 10s here lately. i been watching a lot of great
1: things. <laughs> it's funny. This movie also kind of reminds me of the last movie we watched, Scream, just kind of like that, but it's like two different sides <laughs> of the coin, kind of the 90s style, music, yeah. fashion. That's my last point.
0: <laughs> no, I completely agree with everything you're saying here. What a green movie. <laughs> I love all of the different style choices that are taken here. Just so many creative risks, just willing to do a million different things with the camera and the lighting and the editing and just not giving a shit about what anyone else thinks it's a very powerful film very touching film the performances are beautiful so many bops time after time again the action scenes are absolutely wonderful I think if I had any complaints at all with this film it does feel a bit disjointed and of course that's all very purposeful so It's hard to even complain about that. But for me, it's a bit challenging to find the through line. And that challenged me as a viewer a bit because it's hard to kind of grasp onto anything because there is no sort of straight plot of A happens and B happens and C happens. It's more of just living a day in the life of these people and watching them kind of experience the world that they do, which is very powerful in its own way. But still incredible all around so I'm going to give this a very strong 8 out of 10. I don't think it beats In the Mood for Love for me but I've also seen In the Mood for Love many times and I've only seen this once so but they're very different films even though they're the same director they are very different films I mean they could not be more different in the way they're shot edited
1: I guess just in that aspect, yeah.
0: I mean, it's still very much him. Like, it's still very much his reflection of his direction style, but sort of opts into the spectrum for him, but still kind of of that same genre, if you will. The rocks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. You can find everything I do at AustinLugo12. I'm
1: on Letterboxd at Retro Andrew R-E-T-R-0 Andrew.
0: And you can find this podcast wherever you hear podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at With Nothing To Say or Theater42. And thank you all for listening.
1: Thanks again.